Hey friends, welcome to the City Hope Podcast. My name is Bobby Thompson and I have the privilege of serving as a lead pastor. I pray that today's message would inspire you, it would encourage you, and it would also challenge you in your walk with Christ. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Can we give our worship team just a, a big thank you for leading us so well? This morning. Well, again, good morning. I want to welcome you uh, once again to City Hope Church. My name's Bobby, and if I haven't got to meet you yet, I would be honored to do that. We're thrilled you're here with us. We're on a mission. We want to see everyday people like me and you to experience the hope of Jesus in every way. And that's our hope for you today is that you would walk out of here saying, man, we met with Jesus today. All right? Is everybody good with that? Everybody okay with that? All right? Man, you guys are a little, a little quiet this morning. All right? Just tell somebody next to you, man, you look good. Come on. Come on. All right? Now, now listen. Tell, tell the person that you didn't think looked good, tell them you better listen up today. All right? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Uh, uh. All right, that a good compliment always helps, right, James? Yeah, it's it's always good. Um, we are in week two of a series of talks on the book of James. We started last week with with week one and uh, or chapter one, and James is a very very practical book. It's a great book, no matter if you are a, a new Christian or you've been a Christian for a long time. If you're a young person, if you're a more experienced person, we can all 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 of us glean wisdom from the book of James, and it helps us in in, in just taking steps in our journey. If you feel kind of stuck, if you feel kind of I don't know what to do. James is a great, great, great practical book to help you. And, and I, I love it because one of the things that we say around here a lot is that uh, the world needs more Christians, but the world also needs better Christians, right? We need to be better. Those of us who follow Christ, we need to just grow and we need to mature and we need to be discipled and we need to do what God's word tells us. And so I, I think this is a great, great book for us for having this summer. Just a quick reminder, uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? James grew up, and he watched Jesus live his life, so he had a very good perspective on what a Christ follower should look like, all right? And so last week, we looked, James gave us a very in-your-face challenge, right? He said, man, listen, don't just be a hearer of the word. Do something about it. He says, how silly is it to have all this knowledge and don't ever do anything with it? And so that was last week. This week, we're going to look at chapter number two, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you today, all right? Everything we talk about today is in love. This is a, a challenging, challenging chapter, all right? As I was reading it, as I was studying over the last couple of weeks, man, I, I was convicted in my own life, and I'm like, man, somebody's going to get mad because this is, this is really, really challenging, in your face, push you to be a better follower of Christ type of stuff, all right? So is everybody good with that? Everybody, everybody okay? All right? All right? Just know I love you, okay? So, so let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Go to James chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you today, um, we're secretly judging you on the inside, but it's, uh, it's there on the screen, so you can, you can stay, stay with us. Let's read uh, in, in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. If someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, 
Yet you say to the person, stand over there, sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you, drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Verse 8, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, and this is the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. If, however, if you show favoritism, you commit sin, are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you pray with me? Father, I just ask you now that you would bless the reading of your word. Use the words of James, this letter that he's writing to to us, to speak directly into our hearts. Lord, convict us. Show us the places in our lives where we need to grow, where we we need to just continue to get closer to you. Lord, help us to walk out of here today experiencing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe see them. So we see here James is kind of on that same practical road as he was in chapter 1, okay? Now, just, to, just a, a little bit of understanding of the book of James. So, so when James wrote this letter, he didn't write it in chapters like we read it, okay? So, so we see chapter 1, chapter 2. This is just one cohesive letter, all right? So, so think about as we go from chapter 1 to chapter 2 the way we see it, it's just one letter. So he's continuing in this, this straightforward, challenging, practical, I'm, I'm going to try to help you Christians out is what he's doing. But he gives this very, very like straightforward command. He says, brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism. All right. Favoritism is not allowed. He says, and basically what that means is don't be a respecter of persons. Treat everybody the same. Don't, don't, if somebody comes in and they look nice, don't treat them worse than the person that doesn't look nice. And so he's telling believers, if you profess your faith in Christ, at the same time, you can't be a spiritual snob. Okay, you can't be a spiritual snob. Uh, did you see what she was wearing at church? Like are you, he's saying, don't show favoritism. Why? Because favoritism doesn't fit believers. All right, favoritism doesn't fit for God's people. Now, for most of us in here, you're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. That's that's pretty easy, right? That's a, that's a good that's a good thing. Don't show favoritism. But then James goes on and he gives these real world examples of, okay, this is what I mean by don't show favoritism. Okay, so look at verse two, and he starts off here. He says, "For if someone comes into your meeting, now I got to stop right there." Okay. Because what is he implying here? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters. He said, if someone comes into your meeting, he's implying that what's happening? All the brothers and sisters are meeting together, right? All the brothers and sisters are together. The literal translation of this is, is the word synagogue, okay? So he's saying, if all of you are, are meeting together. Now, I got to stop there. And this is one of those times where, where you got to know that I love you when I'm, what I'm about to say. All right, because this is a really, really, really big deal. This is vital to your spiritual and emotional health. 
I know I'm preaching to the choir, so, so I, I want you guys to go tell other people about this because this isn't you, all right? But I want to push on you for just a second, if you'll let me, okay? The average family goes to church one time a month in our world today. Look up any stat. The average family attends church one time a month. Let me break that down. That's 12 times a year. So that means for 40 weeks out of the year, you've got something better to do. You've got something else going on in your life. You've got something else to, 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 to say that I belong to a church, I belong to a body of Christ, but I don't go 80% of the time. What else in your world, what else in our world can we be a part of that we're not with 80% of the time? I told you I was going to get a little weird in here today. James says, he, he just implies, if someone comes into your meeting, he's like, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you should be meeting. You should be together. And, and, and how vital it is to, to your life and to my life, it's not something that should be looked at or passed over. It's not something that should be looked at as an option. It's something that should be consistent. Why? Because you having a consistent body of believers is critical to your life. So I want to challenge you today, church. Again, I'm preaching to the choir. Don't treat Sunday like a second Saturday. Don't treat Sunday like a second Saturday. We all need to be loved. We need to be challenged. We need to be, we need to be uh, encouraged. We need to be kicked sometimes. All right? And, and let, me just, let me just have a little commercial here. If you're not in a small group, we feel like that's one of the best ways that you can have great community in your life. People in the same season of life, people in the same uh, mindset, striving after Jesus. Try, so, so here in just a few weeks, we're going to start a new semester of small groups. And let me encourage you to get in one. Let me encourage you to find a small group. Some of you need to be leading a small group. You need to get around people that will help you, challenge you, and love you. So James, he, he, he starts out with this. This kind of, uh, 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 he, he implies, if you're meeting together. But then he gives this example. Rich versus poor. Rich versus poor. If someone comes in with nice designer brand stuff versus someone who comes in with, uh, you know, who smells a little bad, holes in their jeans, you know, ripped up stuff. Uh, and James is like, here's this real world example. If someone comes into your meeting that you're at, which one are you going to show favoritism to? Which one are you going to be more likely to go talk to? And I love that God's kind of going after this problem in the book of James. Because if you think about it for just a second, it makes a lot of sense, right? Think about Jesus' life. When Jesus came into the world, he wasn't born into a rich family, right? He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born into poverty. As a matter of fact, they had to borrow a stable for him to be born in, right? Think about all the different stories we hear about Jesus. Jesus had to borrow a little boy's lunch so that he could feed 5,000. He, when he spoke, he borrowed someone's boat so he could stand in the boat and speak to the crowd. He borrowed a coin to illustrate a truth. He borrowed a donkey so that he could ride into Jerusalem. He borrowed a room so he could celebrate the Passover. He died on a borrowed cross and he was put to death and, and, and laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. So think about that. 
It makes a lot of sense that James is saying, don't show favoritism. Like the, the, the people who have what they have and the people who don't have anything, they're all the same in God's eyes. Now, let me, let me make this very clear. James isn't trying to make us feel guilty for having stuff. It's okay for you and I to have stuff. This isn't an attempt to make you guilty. It's okay for you to have stuff. Some of you guys have heard this, but it's not okay for the stuff to have you. Right? He's not trying to make us feel guilty for, for having God's blessing. God blesses you, and that's amazing, and you use that for God's glory. So what James is trying to say, he's trying to help you and I understand. It's really easy, and it's really tempting to treat people different based upon their outward appearance. It's really easy for us to get caught up in this. James is saying, don't treat people differently because of what they do or what they don't have. But I think the key to this whole thing that, that James is talking about is found in verse 3. Look at, look at the first three words here in verse 3. He says, if you look. What this all boils down to that you and I have to answer this question is how do I view people? How do I view other people? Don't treat one person as more important than others. How do I view people? Now, 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 now let me say this, okay? We, we definitely still need to show honor, right? If, if a, a, a young person is sitting here and, and we have an, an elder person or, or someone in need to come and sit down, we get up and we move over. Why? Because we want to honor, right? They're, they're still honoring people. That's not, what, that's not what James is talking about. And, and, and let's be honest, there's people in our world that no matter where they go, you think about, uh, you know, uh, celebrities or high profile athletes or, or maybe even politicians. There's people in our world, no matter where they go, they're going to be respected, right? People are going to respect them. But then there's also people in the world that no matter where they go, they're going to be rejected because of the way they look, because of the way they smell, because of the things they've done in their past. That's going to happen. It's just natural in our lives. What's not okay is that when they come to church, the same thing happens. What's not okay is that they get treated the same way inside God's church. And if you think about it, if you listen, this is one of the knocks on the local church today, right? People feel treated differently because of fill in the blank. And so James is saying, if you look, if you look, how do you view people? This is vital, vital, vital to the world. I think sometimes we can get caught up. I can get caught up and, and, and sometimes view like, well, there's different levels of people, right? And, and one of the biggest things that, that James is trying to get across here is like, here, here's the levels of people, okay? There's almighty God. There's all powerful, all knowing, omniscient, created everything. There's God. And then there's man. That's the levels, there's not God, and then we got the varsity Christians and the JV Christians, and then the, like, like, no, no, no. It's God Almighty, and it's man. We're all in this together. And here's the difficult point for some of us. All human beings, every single one of us, God died for. Even the ones you disagree with. Even the ones you don't like. Even the ones who don't like you. Even the ones that hurt you. Even the ones that say things on, on social media that you absolutely disagree with. Guess what? God died for all of them. He sent his son Jesus to die for all of them. And we look at that and we say, okay, okay. So I get it, James. You're telling me I got to treat 
people equally. I, I, some people are dumb, but I'm going to look over it. I'm going I'm to love them anyway. Okay, so how do I do that? How do I love everybody? How do I, how do I really, really, really don't show any favoritism, treat people the way that God's, God's word asked me to? Well, I think it's, it, it's very telling, again, if we don't skip over some of these words that, that James says. Look back at verse 1. What does he call us? Brothers and sisters. He says it again in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. So when you become, listen to me, when you become a brother or sister in Christ, you are now called to a higher standard. Does that make sense? When, when your identity changes to a brother or sister in Christ, your activity should change when your identity changes. When you are, are or one who professes Christ and say, and say yeah, I, I made him Lord of my life. And then my life begins to change. My identity changes and then my activity changes. I turn from what can you do for me to, man, I really want something for you, right? It, it, our, our lives change. I want something from you to, to I want something for you. Remember, we're not just what? We're not just hearers, but we're doers, James is trying to say, here's what I want you to do, brothers and sisters. See people the way that God sees people. View people the way he views people. Love people the way that he loves people. Because they're all his children. I was reminded about this story. There's a pastor in Brooklyn, New York. His name's Jim Cimbala. Some of you may have heard it. He, uh, he's written several books, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He's the, he's the pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he tells this story of uh, uh, there was a time in his, in his life where he was preaching this kind of revival. And for a couple of days, he was preaching every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And he said towards the end of the, the last day of the revival, this um, gentleman begins walking down the aisle while Pastor Jim is speaking. This, this man begins to walk down the aisle. And it was very noticeable that this was a homeless man. He, he had ripped clothes. He was really filthy. And the closer he got, Pastor Jim said, the more the, the smell was awful. And he said the man continued to walk forward and he got all the way up to Pastor Jim. And Pastor Jim said, the smell was so bad that I had to turn my face it was so bad I had to, to not look at this guy. And when he got to the, the, the front where Pastor Jim was standing there preaching and, and Pastor Jim looked at him, he said, excuse me, sir, if you'll go and meet with some of our team, we'll help you out, we'll give you money. And, and the, the gentleman looked at him and he says, I don't want your money. What I want is this Jesus that you keep talking about. And in that moment, Pastor Jim, as he, as he writes and he's, as he tells this story, he said, I was reminded that God loves that smell. The smell that I couldn't stand, the smell, he says, the smell that I had to turn my head, God told me in that moment, God loves that smell. You see, church, Jesus has always been and will always be in the people business. And that's what James is trying to help us understand that God loves that smell. And he says, don't, don't show favoritism. Don't, just because the people act the way that you like and they think the way that you like and they vote the way that you like, don't treat them any different. We gotta treat everybody as God's children. And then he keeps going. Look at verse eight. 
He says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, what's the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So he says, you have to make up your mind. Are, are you determined to be a part of the solution? Are you going to be part of this solution? Now, let's be honest. We, we, got, we got these phones and we got TVs and we got iPads and it's 24-7 negativity, right? I think all of us would agree. There's constantly going, good gravy, our world's crazy, right? It's constant. If we just look and we just read and, and we're just going, man, look what's happening over there and look at this nuts and, and all of this stuff. And that it's such a negative vibe, right? It's such a negative thing that can always, always keep coming into our lives if we allow it. But here's what we can't allow. We can't allow the negative vibe to paralyze us to inactivity while people all around us are bleeding out and dying and going to hell. But man, the world's crazy. We can't allow the negative vibe to keep us from loving our neighbor, doing what the holy royal law prescribes us to do. Loving your neighbor means engaging with people who need your help. We hear love your neighbor, right? Love your neighbor as yourself and, and love God and love others. We hear this. So how does that look like in my life? It means engaging with people that need your help. Because God created the church to be a people partnering with him in his redemptive work. God created the church to be a people who meet together, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are partnering with him in his redemptive work. Now, here's what I know. Some of you today, you may sit here and you may be feeling a little bit stagnant. You may be feeling a little bit malnourished. You may be feeling, ah, I, just don't, I just don't feel anything. I don't, I don't know. My relationship with God isn't where I want it to be. Could it be? Could it be that you're not exercising your loving and serving muscles? Could it be that you're not doing a good job at keeping the holy law and partnering with God in his redemptive work? Usually when we feel malnourished, usually when we feel like there's something in between God, it's usually because of our selfishness. But here's, here's what I want you to, to hear today. If, you, if, you, if you're willing to listen, you were built to serve and love others. You were created to serve and love others. As followers of Christ, as brothers and sisters, People deserve to know how much God loves and cares for them. And that's why you're here. That's why you're built. That's why God is, for, for so many of you, that's why God has saved you so that he can use you to go speak truth and life and love and grace and mercy into other people's lives. So how does that look? How does that look in my life, Bobby? How, how can I do this? What does that really, really, uh, just give me some practical stuff. What does that look like? Well, let me, let me tell you what it doesn't look like, okay? Let me just give you a little bit here. We probably all know Christians that are, that are kind of rude and too in your face, right? Does anybody know anybody like that? Raise your hand. You know anybody like that? Okay, some of you do, all right? The ones who, who uh, they type in all bold letters on social media, right? They're screaming at you through the screen. The ones who call names, the ones who are angry, the ones that are tell you, you know, turn or burn. Like, like you all know and have seen those kind of people. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that I read about in the Bible. But what about the other side? And again, remember I love you. I think the majority of us probably live on this other side. The Christian who is silent. The Christian who doesn't engage at all. 
We see people and we hear people and we know people who are dying and going to hell, but we never take any action. That doesn't sound like the Jesus I read about in the Bible either. But look at verse 12. I think James gives us a little bit of insight on how does this work. He says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. Speak and act. So there it is again, a continuation from chapter one. He says, don't just be hearers. Listen to what he says, but then he says, do. Well, what do I need to do? I need to speak and I need to act. What, what, speak and act, okay? So, so what, I need to do the law, right? I need, he tells me I gotta do the law. Well, what is the law of freedom? Well, here's what Jesus says over in, in the book of John. Jesus says that, that if you love me, what will you do? You will keep my commandments. You will keep my commands. All right, okay, so I get it. If I love Jesus, I'll keep his commands. What are his commands? John 15, 12, he makes it very, very, very obvious, very easy for us to understand. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. So as a follower of Christ, it is, it is your calling to love people. It is God's will for you to love people and help get them closer to Jesus. So don't show favoritism. Love people. Use your words, use your actions to show people the love of Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment of people is not the way that we show Christ's love. Pointing fingers, telling people how wrong they are. Now, I want you to hear this. God's word calls us to be full of grace and full of truth, all right? Full of grace and full of truth. What, what does that look like? Well, being full of grace. If we just have grace, what does that mean? Oh, it's okay. Do whatever you want. It's all oh, you, oh, you, you cheat. You, oh, you did it. Oh, you, oh, it's okay. There's grace for you. Don't worry about it. And we leave out the truth and we never help them understand the sin, the, the struggle, the, 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 the need for repentance, right? Or if we're all truth, if we're all truth and it's like you did this and you shouldn't do this and you got this, it becomes legalism, right? It becomes, oh, you got to follow all these laws. And that's why God's word calls us to have grace and truth in the way that we show Christ's love. I want to end our time today a little bit different. I want to share a story with you that I, that I came across. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Most of you have heard the, the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Bible. And this story is inspired by the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Princeton social psychologist John and Dan conducted a remarkable experiment in the 1970s on time, pressure, and helpful behavior. They studied how students in Princeton's theological seminary conducted themselves when asked to deliver a sermon based upon the parable of the Good Samaritan. The students were to give the sermon in a studio across campus that would be evaluated by their supervisor. The researchers were curious about whether time pressure would affect the students' helpful nature. After all, the students were being trained to become ordained ministers. They are presumably inclined to help others. 
As each student finalized his preparation in the classroom, the researchers inflicted an element of time constraint upon them by giving them one of these three instructions. The first one was, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago. You got to hurry up. It shouldn't take you but just a minute. This was a high hurry condition. The second was, the studio assistant is ready for you. So please go right over. This was an intermediate hurry condition. The third, it'll be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but you might as well head over there now. And if you have to wait over there, it shouldn't be long. This was a low hurry condition. As each student walked by himself from the preparation classroom over to the studio, he encountered a victim in a deserted alleyway, just like the wounded traveler in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The victim appeared destitute, was slouched and coughing and clearly in need of assistance. The seminarians were thus afforded a chance to apply what they were about to preach. Researchers were interested in determining if their imposed time pressure affected their response to the stranger. Remarkably, only 10% of the students in the high hurry situation stopped to help the victim. 45% of the students in the intermediate hurry and 63% of the students in the low hurry situations help the victim. The researchers concluded a person not in a hurry may stop and offer help to a person in distress. A person in a hurry is likely to keep going. Ironically, he is likely to keep going even if he is hurrying to speak on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Thus, inadvertently, Confirming the point of the parable. And then he says this. Thinking about the good Samaritan did not increase helping behavior. But being in a hurry decreased it. When I read that last part. First thing that came to my mind. Am I a hearer of God's word? Am I a doer of God's word? Thinking about the Good Samaritan did not increase helping behavior. How often do we pat ourselves on the back because we know some knowledge. We, we came to church and we learned some things and we feel like that's the end. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good for a week. I'm good. I'm good. But being in a hurry decreased it. Church, it's no, it's no surprise Many times, hurry robs us of helping others. Many times, hurry helps us or decreases our ability to slow down and see people the way that God sees people. Bottom line today, I think James is trying to get across here. You got to love people. If you claim Christ, if you're a Christ follower, you got to love people. I don't know about you, but I know in my personal story as a young man, my parents got divorced when I was five years old. As a five-year-old kid, that was tough. Kind of grew up looking for acceptance, looking for worth. And I met a couple guys. I was rough. I was rough. I met a couple guys who slowed down and 
shot basketball with me in a church parking lot. And because of those men that showed me Jesus, I was able to become a brother and sister in Christ. And I'm sure most of you in here have that some kind of story where somebody slowed down and loved you. They viewed you the way that God views you. We need one another to carry out this mission. I'm going to give you a little homework for this week as we send out this morning. It's a little bit different. I'm going to encourage you to take a picture, write it down, do whatever you want to do with it, but pray over this this week. Number one, identify people who need the gospel. I love how practical James is. I love how just applicable it is to my life. An easy step, identify people in my life who need the gospel. Number two, invest in their life. Invest in them. It doesn't mean you got to go give them all your money. and, and it, it means have a conversation. It means pray for them. The, the, the lady you see in the Starbucks drive through every day that you go through, give her a kind word. Give her a note of encouragement. Invest into people's lives. Identify people who need the gospel, invest into their life. And the third thing is invite people into a relationship with Jesus. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way their life is going to change. You say, I don't want to be a hearer of God's word. I don't want to pat myself on the back because I heard a good message or I heard, heard somebody preach this week. I want to do something about it. Well, here you go. Identify, invest, and invite. And watch what God does when you treat people the way that he calls us to treat people. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I love you. I'm so thankful for who you are, thankful for your word. We can dig in and we can, man, we can get called out. And I know, God, like, like so many times in my life, I don't like being called out. I don't like being shown that I'm wrong that I'm not doing all that I should be. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, we would leave with, just, with this conviction of loving people the way you call us to, not being so busy that we don't see people. Lord, I pray for those that are in this room that, that have a relationship with you, <coughs> that this week would be different. Give us a burden for our neighbors. Not just the people that we think may be able to do something for us, but the people that, that are struggling. Help us to see them the way that you see them. Help us to be a church that lives by the, the law of freedom, to love people the way that you love them. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for this opportunity and freedom we have to come in here and worship you today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in with us today. We would love to connect with you, and the best way to do that is through social media or go straight to our website. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.